it is that joyful little ditty, which means that we are here. It's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to thank Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino for their ongoing support. And I'd like to thank you, the audience, for joining us here for this edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed. And if you want to learn more about me or any of the other members of the Wrecking Crew, uh, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, um, or you can just ask them yourselves. Uh, team, what are your names and where can people find you? I'm Chris Jones. You can find me on 5 by 5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky. You can find me at Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Pet Fat here and on most places, but on PokerStars, I'm Fergie56. Well, thanks for joining me, gang. I have the best job in the world. I love that I get to hang out with y'all every week and talk poker strategy. Um, just like every week, we're playing in the nightly rec poker home game on PokerStars, trying to steal each other's chips and win that beautiful, coveted bronze rec poker pin. Um, and just like every week, we're going to take a post from the rec poker forums and talk about it here with the group. So, and, uh, you know, premium members are, are at Rec Poker are always welcome to come on the show if there's a forum post that you've made, if you're a premium member that you'd like to discuss, or if you see someone else's uh, forum post that you're interested in, um, you can come on and, and join the podcast here with us. Go to rec.poker slash events. Um, we record on Monday nights. Come join us. So this is a post by Michael, and it's called Jack Jack on a two-pair board. So I'll just introduce, uh, I'll just kind of read through it. I do encourage everyone, go get a free community account and just go to rec.poker and check out the forum uh, forums yourself. We'll touch on a number of the subjects that come up, but you really, to see all everyone's responses and all the details that people put into it, um, you'll get more out of it by going and just checking out the forum post itself. So Michael says, on a whim, I decided to play in my first live MTT yesterday in just over a year. I finally reached the table at level three with blinds at 100, 200, um, with 200 big blind average and a 20K starting. My third hand at the table, I'm on the button and get dealt jack-jack. Okay, so things are looking pretty good for Michael. There were two limps in front of me. And again, the blinds are 100, 200 here. Uh, so there's uh, two limps in front of me and I opened to 700 and got calls from the big blind and from one of the limpers. Okay, so it's amazing that one of those limpers folded given those pot odds, but all right. So we see a flop of a rainbow 299 where it checks all the way around to Michael and he bets 1300. Um, we don't actually know exactly what the pot is here and I don't do math live on TV. <laughs> we talked about this already, um, but uh, uh, checks to me, bets 1300, the big blind calls and the third player check raises up to 3700. Uh, Michael's taken a bit aback, but calls the big blindfolds. Uh, we, Michael gets into a bit of what he might have here. He's ranging his opponent. That's exactly the right kind of stuff to be thinking about here, what hands he could have, what he's representing. The turn's an eight, and the player leads out for 4,700, and we call again. And again, we've got Jack-Jack, uh, and the board is 2998. Uh, we still, uh, Michael says, I still feel comfortable with the overpair. And to be honest, my mind frame after this call was that if he really does have a nine, then go ahead and milk me for my stack. Otherwise, he seems to be playing quite aggressive. I'm in a, I'm in a good spot to get max value out of him. I don't think you should give any spoiler alerts. Let's talk about the hand. 
Okay, let's talk about the hand. I love that, Kim. Get get right into it. So, so well, yeah. So the first thing I I will say is um, I I would just encourage every potential listener uh, to get this kind of mind frame out of your thinking, which is the well, if they got a nine, they if they got it, they got it. Let's just get all the chips in because you started this hand with a hundred big blinds, um, and um, you know to have to say, oh well, I got jacks. If they have a nine, well, here have my hundred big blinds. I think is is not really where we want to start our thinking. Um, we've really got to like think about okay, well, could they have a nine? How likely is it for them to have a nine? Uh, if they have a nine. Can I fold my jacks? Well, yes, you can. You can fold them quite easily. Um, and so, I, you know, I, it's not that they automatically have a nine, but I think that to, to sort of like that kind of, I mean, there are situations like, well, if we had, if we had pocket deuces here, you know, and I say, well, you know, or, or something, they have quad nines or something. And then I don't know, like, I'm like, oh, good game. If you've got quad nines. But I think for the most part, we kind of want to eliminate that kind of thinking uh, to start this off is my first thought. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. Yeah, I think the you don't want to be you want to let the facts guide you. You don't want to have a thing that you want to do and do that and then find justification. for mm. it. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and then I guess, so looking at this, this is a, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting hand. So first of all, I think when we, uh, when we're facing limpers um, and we, so we're at uh, the 100, 200, 200 level. So there's um, already, you know, 500, that's going to be dead money in this pot. Uh, we get two limps. So now there's uh, 900 that's going to be dead money in this pot. Uh, I want to be, if I'm going to try to, I, if I have a hand like Jack's after two limps and I want to try to isolate, I'm going to be making this a lot bigger to try to get them out to start. So pre-flop, I think we need to choose a bigger sizing um, so that we don't get a ton of callers so that when it comes deuce nine, nine, uh, we can more confidently say there are less of those in our opponent's range. I think there, there are a lot of deuces and nines in our opponent's range when we have a really small, when we have limps and then a small, that we put a small raise over the top. Um, and so I would probably, uh, let me think, let's see, we got five and a half. would say go three and a half plus one for each limper. Yep, yeah, in so, this yeah, I agree. I agree. So we, we, we probably want, something like 12 1200 something like that even that seems like at least that's putting them to a real decision um, yeah yeah i know kim's got that that great formula for how to think about it so that would be i think 11 and a half if you wanted to do that um or sorry what am i saying that would be uh one two three and a half <laughs> that's why we don't do live math we already talked about this guys <laughs> uh was that five and a half? Three and a half big blinds would be 350. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 1100. Uh, yeah. And, that yeah, and that's what I was thinking. Terms. I was thinking 1200 um, yeah. is what I would probably do with this. So somewhere in that, I mean, like, uh, regardless, it needs to be bigger than this. Like, we just, uh, we want to 
at the bare minimum, I mean, hopefully, maybe we just win this, right? And Jax is a is a hand that's okay to win a small pot with. And if we don't, we want to isolate. Uh, we don't want to go multi-way with Jax. Um, so we just need to make this bigger to start. Um, once we get there and we get, so now we've, we're multi-way on a deuce nine, nine flop uh, that has been limped and we've let people in. Um, and we've got, uh, are we, we're on the button, right? So we have yeah, position. We've got ultimate position. Yeah. This is a, this is a spot that I I'm actually considering checking quite frequently. Uh, not betting this flop into this multi-way spot. I think I frequently have the best hand. Um, I'm not sure that I accomplish a ton by betting other than, you know, I'm probably the best thing that I can do right now is to chase away some over cards. That's probably the justification for betting. Um, and I can probably get rid of people if they've got some aces, kings or queens. Um, so I think you know, that a small bet gives us some protection against overcards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so so I can see a small bet here, but this is often a spot that I will I will consider a check too. Um so but I think either of those options is fine. Um but because what I what what's what is really messy about uh, a flop like this is it's the it is it's a really good board. Um it's really hard uh, to deal with a check raise on a nine, nine deuce board, um, especially a, a one where we haven't isolated as much and we haven't eliminated these hands. Both of our opponents can have a ton of nines. Um, and, you know, once, once we get check raise, this hand gets really dicey, really quick. Yeah. And it's one of those boards like paired boards like this, there are no, there, there aren't a lot of natural draws. There's not a lot of natural bluffing candidates. So one of the things that it makes them good seabedding candidates because it's just hard for lots of hands to coordinate with this board. That also means that they're good check raising <laughs> boards because um, if you're playing honestly, you should really only be doing it with very strong hands. And if your opponent is seabedding too much in spots like this, which they probably should be, um, that's the best way to get them to fold a lot of that stuff with your bluffs. So there's kind of like a leveling war that goes into it. Um, and I think monotone flops are a very similar spot where, as mm -hmm. Kim says, you can make a very small bet and leverage the part of their range that you're trying to affect. So if you're trying to get them to fold king queen on a jack high flop, you don't need to bet half pot or two thirds pot to get that to happen because the part of their range that you're trying to get to fold is, is a low equity part of the range. They're going to fold to a small part. And you're just not going to get them to fold a nine. You're not going to get them to fold pocket tens. You're probably not going to get them to fold like pocket sixes, pocket sevens either. So don't even target that with, with your bet sizing. Make that small bet. Leverage those um, over cards that you do want to get to fold. And, uh, and then you're not bloating the pot. When they do have a nine, you have a lot more room uh, later. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is an easy board to check raise. Like, I don't think this is an easy board to raise, especially with three players in the hand, unless you have exactly a nine right. or exactly pocket twos. So other than that, I don't think it's an, like even with tens, you're not that comfortable because you have the big razor. 
So even if you've called with pocket tens, you they have all the over pairs in their range. So I I don't know if this is a great board for like as opposed to like nine eight seven with two hearts kind of thing would be yeah an easier only, board for the big blind to check raise there. I I would only be check raising here from a frequency point of view, not from a hand strength point of view. So I would just be choosing this as a spot to check raise where my opponent is c betting a lot. They can't have much on boards like okay. this as well. So maybe with two players, but this has got three players mm. in the hand. And I think mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference. That's a good point. That's a great point. Well, and that's a good point because we do have an intervening call here. So mm -hmm. we get, we, we bet the big blind flats and then, then it gets check raised and you know, we, we really do need to, I mean, like, I think we have to consider that there's some, I mean, like, I know we say, well, if they've got a nine, they've got it. But I mean, I think we really have to take that pretty seriously. This is a, this is a, a board that is going to get, because we've got to expect other bets are coming. Um, our jacks are really vulnerable already. Um, yeah. And when know. that, and when that player does make the check raise, um, the big blind player is still in the hand, as mm -hmm. you're pointing out, Chris. Mm -hmm. And even though we know that the big blind folds to the action, that big blind has a lot of nines in their range um, mm -hmm. as played. It's play. a perfect spot for a call with a nine. When you right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so it, that that should inform the check raising range of the other player. Right. Like they shouldn't be doing it as uh, just like Kim is saying you know, you've got more players in the hand, you've got more ranges that could have a nine in it, um, among other strong hands, that it's just, it's a less attractive area uh, spot to pick for that, for that check raise. So that skews them even more to value. So then they're definitely, so let, let's, let's just say that this is the kind of player that is check raising their nines. And what other, are there other value hands that they might have in a check raising range here in a limped pot? Pocket twos, I guess. Deuces, yeah. Yeah. But it was limped, raised, and then yeah. called, right? Yeah. So yeah, so deuces would make sense deuces, there, especially since yeah. we didn't do it very big. I mean, deuces are going to come along and see if they can hit this kind of miracle flop. So yeah, they make sense. Uh, I, see, I see some people do this with other pairs as well: sixes, mm -hmm. fives, sevens, eights. Like yep. assuming that the person has it better has over cards in there two pair is going to be good there. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that makes sense. Okay. So then, so where, where do we want to take this? So as, as played, we make that bet, we get the check raise. And I think calling in position seems like the right play here. Um, I don't think we can fold given the sizing and the situation. Um, and I don't think three betting with a re-raise is good given the range that they have at this point, they're only going to be able to play perfectly against us by folding everything yeah. worse and calling we with better. Cannot raise this. It's better to fold than to raise this I, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I think the call the call is the right way. I, don't th I think this is a tough call still, though. Yeah. This is a pretty tough too. call. Like, it, it, I mean, I would be really afraid when the big blind just calls. Yep. <laughs> I would be really afraid. <laughs> <laughs> because our bet wasn't small we bet half pot that's not yep. a small bet yeah so yeah i i agree I, I i'm actually more scared of the big blind right now than the check raise uh player 
uh, if I'm in this spot. <laughs> and I, I, and this is also why I really I like the, on this board a multi-way. I I like checking this flop mm-hmm. um, because I I think I've got I don't have a three street hand. Oh, I love that. And I am in position. I think I've got the best hand. Yeah, I could, you know, an ace or a king or a queen could come on the turn, but I'm less concerned about that happening than getting into this kind of spot where I'm just, oh. And the pot's getting bloated really quickly, right? The pot's getting bloated really quickly. If we had made a really small bet, like 25, 30% pot, and then it had been raised, it's a much easier call. Right. Now it's about a quarter of our stack. If we call this, but our quarter of our stack of our hundred big blind stack is in the middle. Um, And it's just going to get worse from there. And when we're behind, we've got two outs. Right. 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 So I really like Stu's point here in the chat where he says, I wouldn't check raise trips. I don't want the villain to fold. uh, So go for two streets. Uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, yeah. And as we're seeing with the chip stacks, you know, you don't necessarily need to uh, to get it in. And who knows what their read is of Michael, <clears throat> who's going to be the player that has the opportunity to make that last bet. So I think that that's a good point. So then in that case, so Stu, um, take your time and please type in the chat whenever it's convenient for you. Would you be check raising with bluffs here? Um, or would you just not have a check raising range um, or would you check raise with some other hands? While you're thinking about that, we'll we'll keep talking. So um, as it happens, then the big blind actually folds after we call. Uh, so we go to the turn heads up. And the turn is an eight. And the player leads out for 4,700. Uh, any thoughts at that point? Are we calling? Are we... Like, I don't think I can fold now, given that we called the check raise on the flop. That's a pretty good card for us, or for our, well, yeah, it's a pretty good card for us, really. Are we calling? Are we folding? Again, I don't think raising makes any sense. One one note um, to Michael. If we had some more detail in the hand, this would be helpful. Uh, it's not clear uh, what some of the stack sizes are or what some of the pot geometry um has resulted in there's some other it's like, eight, turn stuff. eight turn eight is a is it a flush card or not yeah you don't know that right yeah so michael's done a good job of putting a lot of detail into the post here um but there are some other details that uh that would be helpful for us to make some of these decisions of where we are in the tournament uh some other stuff like that i know it's still early enough in the tournament but yeah i made a point of saying the spr is only 1.5 to 1 right now like it's we're right. getting very quickly committed to this pot. Right. <laughs> and one of the things that I, that I uh, think about when people check raise and we call them, right, that when they go ahead and barrel turns after, after going multi-way check raising <laughs> and getting called, like some people take that check raise line as their sort of one and done bluff line, right? Like, they're sitting there, right, right, okay. And so I don't think this eight has probably improved uh, like to a point that's beating us a ton of whatever that check raising range is, unless it's specifically pocket eights, which might be a good check raise bluff because it's gonna block some nines, Yeah, I suppose. So maybe somebody might take their pocket eights who and now have hit their miracle card. 
but oh boy, I, I huh. when somebody does this, when they barrel after they check get their check raise called, it really leans towards value. I mean, there, I there are people who are capable of check raising and then barreling and barreling again. Um, but we're, 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 we're swimming deep into value waters right now. <laughs> I think that the, one of the biggest tells in this hand is that the villain leads for such a small amount on mm. the turn. And I think that this is very common when people don't know what to do, when their bluff raise got called. And then they lead small, which is where they're, that's a value raise. They're going to always lead big. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a great insight. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's one of the biggest tells in this hand was the villain's sizing on the turn. And yeah, for me, the hardest, sense. the hardest part of this hand was on the flop. And then once we get to the turn and that, that vill- the villain makes that kind of sizing, the hand just plays out. So let's, I want to talk about that a little bit, because this is what I was getting at when I talked about like making a frequency based check raise as opposed to a hand strength based check raise. Um, If we had a hand like, so the flop is two, nine, nine. If we had a hand like eight, 10, that would be a good candidate for a frequency based check raise here. Not because you have a backdoor runner, runner straight draw, but because you're blocking eight, nine and 10, nine which are the most common hands that your opponent's going to have that have a nine in them. So if you were going to do a one and done check raise, as opposed to the kind of check raise on a flop, like seven, eight, nine with two hearts, where you're actually going to have some equity draws that are going to be part of that range here, I would choose a hand like eight, 10, where you're blocking my opponent's nines. And that would be a good, for me, it feels like that would be a good one and done check raise candidate. When they call, and, and I turn a pair in this example that we're describing when the eight comes. Um, I think it's, it is this spot that Kim's describing where they're like, oh, wait, <laughs> now what? <laughs> you know, the goal was for them to fold. They didn't. Now I've picked up some equity. And I don't really know like how to play comfortably. So they're going to make this like compromise bet. And I think if you can, if you can notice that, that, that kind of bet sizing uh, tell is really powerful. I think that's exactly what happened here. Right. I think they go get into no man's land here and they, they have to either check or they have to bet big. And I think the yes. solver would want them to bet big in this spot. And it's it, this bet like just screams like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Brokus talks often on the Thinking Poker podcast about how people aren't sure whether they should bet or fold. And so they like, or, or if they should raise or fold. And so they end up compromising with making like a small bet because it feels like they're kind of solving the problem, but they're not doing anything wrong. And it's just, it's just the worst thing you can do. Mostly you should, <laughs> mostly you should just not, don't compromise. Just do either this thing that's the best thing or this other thing that is also a really good thing. Um, don't compromise by calling and don't compromise by making small bets. Um, do it for a reason. So, I, and I, I agree with Kim 100%. That feels like that's a spot where just take the small bet out of your range in that particular spot and either check or make a big bet. That sounds a lot like a t-shirt. Poker <laughs> players do it for a reason. 
royalties royalties on the rec poker branding uh merchandise line um all right so i think i think that's all correct and kim made the good point that as played once we get to the turn as it is i think we're calling uh given the sizing and then the river is a two and he drops uh now so michael says he drops a massive overbet that he never really counted and he just collected his remaining 10k and called it and i think this is another note to michael some friendly constructive criticism is I, I know i'm not sure you're being precise enough in your knowledge about the pot at the time that you're playing and the stack sizes at the time that you're playing because based on what i understand about the hand so far i don't think this is a massive over bet i think it's you know a fairly large bet but um well he may have yeah he may have put his entire stack in but it doesn't matter because you only have 10k behind right that's the the like it doesn't matter how many chips he's just put in the middle yes it's a 10k bet and that's right. the part that i think is is sort of the the missing piece yeah good good clarification chris and mm-hmm. and that and, and michael does point that out in there but the it's just it's like that in from also the, the stack size is earlier in the hand like that's something you should be thinking about when you're considering am i going to call this check raise you know what is the effective stack becomes really relevant um, to that conversation. So uh, Michael does call and he says, you know, if he's got the nine, then good game. Um, and if you really did have something like ace two, then congrats on the two outer. <laughs> and, you know, that will be true sometimes, but to Chris's point earlier, that's not really a, like, that's not the best way to be thinking about poker, but uh, that is true. <laughs> so he ends up turning over 10, eight. Um, so I, I won't, I, I had read that earlier. I don't want to claim that prediction, but the fact is, I think that's actually a pretty savvy frequency based check raise candidate for on the flop. And I would just, just not, I would, as the villain, I would have played it differently. Um, yeah, for sure. After there. And so it was a good hand for Michael. He, he picked it up, saw the 10, eight. And, um, he says during the break, he caught up with me and was curious why I called down with Jack, Jack there. And uh, he says, I couldn't find a fold on a board where I had an overpair and there were no overcards to my hand, uh, to which he chuckled and admitted he'd probably do the same. Um, and Michael says a fold was basically never an option given the runout, and that the action screamed out as a bluff more than a made hand. And I think we've kind of gotten at some of that, the sizing and, and, and the line that they took. Kim? Right. But Well, I would say that the action doesn't scream out a bluff necessarily. And I think that a lot of the time he's going to lose this hand. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, this screams value to me. This this line, and you caught you caught a bluff this time, and I you might be naming it as a as like an obvious bluff in retrospect, but I don't. I think if you played this hand a hundred times and you faced this line, you're going to lose your stack more than you're going to win it. Thanks. Um, that's, that's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Versus two opponents here. I think there's often going to be a nine out there. So. And uh, we got another comment in the, um, in the post here from I'm a Luigi who we, uh, we talked about last week in their own forum post. And I'm a Luigi replies to Michael here and says with two limps, we need to be opening larger than 700 It's important to maximize equity at every spot in the hand. And we're crushing the range of the limpers. Every extra chimp, every extra chip we can get them to put into the pot when we're being when they are behind helps us win more in the long run and it also helps you more clearly define their ranges when they're getting such a good price to call your undersized raise 
ranging their hands is much more challenging. They can have many more combos with a nine and even some combos with a two. Uh, glad it worked out for you, but I think this should actually be a fold um, on the river without a live read. So yeah, full points, I'm a Luigi. I think that's exactly what we've kind of decided here. And exactly as you say, you benefit from, with the larger sizing preflop, you benefit from clearer, more defined ranges. You, you add more fold equities to just win the pot outright more times. And you're also building the pot with your value hands so that the pot geometry means that it's a bigger pot for you later uh, when you do have a value holding and you get to uh, choose the size of the pot in position. That's uh, that's all well said there. Right. I don't think it's a fold on the river, though. Personally, <laughs> when he's called, when he calls the turn, I don't think he can fold for that price on the river. Oh yeah, the sizing. Only a half pot bet. It's a half pot bet. So he only has to be right twenty five percent of the time, or something like that. Mm -hmm. To yeah, I that I I was thinking about this. I don't know that we. Do you think that people? Do you think we're going to, I mean, this is a pure bluff catcher now. Yes, like there's, it's a bluff catcher. There is no, there's no <laughs> value that we beat. Right. It's so a bluff catcher. Do you think that people bluff this way? Check raise, barrel turn, shove river. The only talent there to me is the small turn. The small barrel. sizing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's see if our friend uh, Jonathan Little has anything to add on that subject, and then we'll come right back and wrap this baby up. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? All the time. What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. There you go, folks. WSOP 2021 is coming up. There's a rec poker house down in Vegas. There's trips planned. There's people to hang out with. There's tournaments to study for. Go to rec, go to pokercoaching.com, enter code recpoker and get ahead. Yeah, there's kidding. borders to open there's borders to open for some of us canadian players that's right we cannot wait we cannot so, wait so back to this sort of he turns his jacks into a bluff catcher to me on the turn uh, well even on the on the i mean on the flop when mm -hmm. he decides to call the flop and then he's either he's either going to be ahead or behind when all of those cards come in they don't make any difference so when he calls the turn barrel, the small turn barrel, he has to call the river too. Like it's just a nothing card. So he has to do call, call. So to me, the hardest point in this whole hand was on the flop. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I, I think I'm still probably folding this river. I mean, I hear what you're saying and the odds are, but um yeah. I need to. I need to know something that my opponent. Then why wouldn't you? Of. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you fold the turn here? Well, I probably. I'm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying we're, when he decides to we're call the me, turn. <laughs> we're giving me. Over, I agree. Like, with, I've just arrived at this river yeah, and I played. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, I don't think I'm playing this this way, but I think yeah, if Chris, I did, I'm I, probably folding. 
I agree with you 100%. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you call the turn, then you have to call the river. Yeah, Yeah. fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Yeah, and Chris Chris would have raised over the limpers larger preflops. So there would have been a different dynamic. We would have had a different pot size. And like, that's another thing here. Like, honestly, we got to be thinking about the river bet when we are raising over limpers preflop. Okay, we got to be thinking what is our hand right now? Does our hand benefit from a low SPR or a high SPR? And before we even think, okay, how many people are in the hand? Like, you know, like you got to think about sizing, sizing, stack sizing, bet sizing, raise sizing, pot geometry. Um, Pot geometry is not just a clever name for installation art that I build in the dish rack of my kitchen. Pot geometry is a really important function. uh, And the sizing that you choose preflop has these knock-on effects later in the hand. And I think you would have had a very different turn decision if you had made a bigger raise preflop because right. the pot would be bigger. That turn sizing would have been different and that might've given you an opportunity to make a different decision in this hand. And he may have very well gotten two folds preflop. Uh, right. Yeah, eight ten offsuit, right? Or whatever the guy had. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, he's not calling. Right. I, yeah, I see your face, Chris. I, like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> so what I want to know is when you when he decides to call the re-rate, the race on the flop. On the flop. Why doesn't he just jam instead? Like if he thinks he doesn't have a nine and he's beating all aces, ace-x, then why doesn't he just jam the flop? To me, this would be a better way to play this to put it back into your opponents. So, Kim, hands. I want like obviously you're always getting called if they have a nine, but if you're going to call down to the river and lose your chips anyways, now you're giving them a chance of hitting their ace or their king or whatever they have. I think that's a great tension, and I think like and I wish I knew the answer to that, man. Like I think when it's me, I always think about like what what are the errors that this opponent is more likely to make. Is this opponent more likely to make a calling error or a betting error? And if it's a calling error, then yeah, this is the spot to, to get it in. But if we feel like this is the opponent that is going to barrel lock too wide, then I'd rather be letting them make that error instead. Right. Uh, I'm not sure we know enough about them, but yeah. that's 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 how my brain. Looks I agree. I, I just find this is a really tough spot in tournaments. You get in there, you have a hundred yeah. blinds, you think you have all these chips to play with, and then all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden you're bloated in this pot. You're and and like your whole chip stack's coming into play. Yeah. And it's it's like really tough spots. And you know, Stu said something earlier that I didn't get a chance to repeat into the group, but Stu put this in the chat. He said it comes down to a bad fold is better than a bad call. And particularly in tournament poker, it's true because the chips that you lose are worth more than the chips that you win. And, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic in those kind of, in, in that situation. Okay, well, wh- any other thoughts on this? Uh... No, good tough spot though. I like these ones because we yeah. all get ourselves into these tough spots. And we suddenly look at a pot that's blown way out of proportion and suddenly half our chips are in there and it's like, now what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think as Chris says as well, like you always do just have the opportunity to fold, um, even though you might feel like, you know, given the odds, you're like, you have to call or you owe it to some formula to defend at a particular frequency or something. 
you know, that's all true. And, and, you know, that's all well and good, but you still always have the chance to just listen to your nose and listen to your gut and, and make a fold if you think it's the right play. Especially with, with over pairs, the, 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 uh, you know, I think just getting this out of your lexicon of like, well, if they got it, they got it. I mean, I think that we can fold over pairs, right? And there are times to do it and there are times not to do it. And differentiating between that is really the art of this game, I think. And, and you know, one, one really important feature about over pairs is that they're a one pair hand. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if anyone has Poker Tracker at four, Go filter for one pair of hands in your database and see how you're doing. See how you're doing lifetime when you go to showdown with one pair. You will be surprised how good a hand one pair really is. And yeah, an over pair is better than top pair and top pair with a top kicker is better than medium pair. But one pair hands are not huge chip winners in the grand scheme of things people lose a lot with one pair they win a lot with one pair you trade chips around with one pair of hands so it's not a spot where you're like i can't wait to get every chip into the pot because i have an over pair um often often yeah thanks kim i know i'm the same way <laughs> take it take it take it but this was a two pair hand uh, yeah that's a good point yeah fair that's enough, right the two pair <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to top that. We got to go out on a high note with that. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about? Because that feels like the perfect way to sum it up. All right. Well, I want to thank Website Amp and uh, Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. I'm Luigi and Michael, uh, Kim, John, and Chris. And of course, the big dog, Steve Fremlin, and all our listeners. See you again soon.